Hey, welcome to uh, Infused Church. My name is Taylor. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, we are in week three of a series, How to Be Happy, where we're helping you to be happy. And a shout out to all the moms. Happy Mother's Day, those in the room, watching online. Super grateful for all of you and your desire to pour into others, to not always make it about yourself, but about your kids, about your foster kids, about your grandkids, about whatever motherly role you have currently or have had in the past, that desire to uh, pour into others and to help others to grow and become better is so absolutely incredible. And the truth is we all have desires, um, not just moms. We all have desires. We all have expectations. Um, and unfortunately, they're not always centered around others. Generally, let's be honest, our desires and expectations are generally centered around us. Yeah, they're centered around us. Unfortunately, And so the rest of today, I, I don't want to use actually the word desires. You can. Maybe you have a different term for it. I'm going to call it today appetites. Today we're going to talk about appetites and the fact that we all have appetites. And they can manifest themselves in a lot of different ways. They can be desires. You might call them expectations. You might call them goals. Um, they might show themselves in different ways. But at their core, they're Appetites, And the appetites we're talking about um, are more than uh, just food appetites. Um, these are appetites that we think will lead us to happiness. That we think if we feed these appetites, then we will become happy. And there's a lot of different types of appetites, not just one. Um, this is just a small, small list of appetites. The first one I put up here is progress because personally that's one that I struggle with. This is an appetite of mine that I have a hard time saying no to. I want to feed this appetite. I want to make progress. I want to move forward personally, relationally, as a church, and in business. I mean, whatever it is, I just want to move forward and feed that appetite. And I know it's an appetite, and it's a potent appetite for me because I have a hard time of saying no to it. And it has the ability to control me more than I have the ability to control it. Some of you, you have an appetite to be responsible. You just wanna be seen as the person who gets it all done, gets it done right. You were the, the kid in middle school that everybody, they struggled with, let's put it that way, okay? Because you were the goody two-shoes or whatever it is. You know, you just want people to see you as that just shining star of goodness amongst everyone else. There might be a little pride involved in that. You have the desire to win. This is something I know I struggled with uh, back in high school. Um, I did competitive sports. And the reason that I did competitive sports, not because I enjoyed the sport, it simply was because I just wanted to win. That's not always a healthy motivation. Um, respect, you want respect, you want admira admiration, you want affirmation from other people, and you want to feed that, you want people to feed that. And so you'll kind of do whatever it takes to get people to give you that respect that you deserve. Um, you want love, you hate being alone, you feel like you deserve that, you expect it from other people. And again, it will make you behave in certain ways, say certain things to get that love. Fame, recognition, you want perfection. Some of you control things, control things to a really high degree because outside of that control, then you're afraid. And so you try to feed that perfection appetite. You want things, this is something we're all guilty of. We want the next thing, the bigger thing, the more expensive thing. You know, we just want more things um, or acceptance. We just want people to invite us in. In fact, all of us, this is like a whole message in and of itself, are acceptance magnets. 
We love to be and are attracted to environments where we can be accepted. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. In fact, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of these things, right? There's nothing bad about wanting to be loved. There's nothing bad about wanting to progress. There, there's nothing bad about that. There's the darker side to this list. There's the ones that we don't talk about, that, you know, don't say it out loud kind of thing. Things like envy. Some of us have the appetite to be the envy of our neighborhood, the envy of our work environment, right? The envy of other people's marriages, Right, we want to be envied. Some of us um, have an appetite for uh, lust, for other people, for sex, for power, and of course, the big one being money. You would just have this appetite. You, I think you're starting to get what an appetite is. It's this thing that draws us to behave so that we can feed it. It's the things we're hungry for. So, what is it for you? Maybe it's something that's on this list. Maybe it's something that's kind of like a subcategory of some of these things, but what's that thing that, that you're hungry for, that you, you feel like you need right now, you want right now, and you deserve it right now, you expect it right now? What is that appetite? And I bet you if you self-reflect and you decide here is an appetite or two or three or four that I have, you would say, that if you had those things, if those buckets were filled, I bet you would say that you would be happy because that's what an appetite does. You say to yourself, if I satisfy my appetites, then I will be, and probably only then will I be happy. Until then, I will never be quite satisfied. It will never be enough. I will always have to keep going. I hope you're starting to see the connection between appetites and happiness. That none of these things in and of themselves are bad, but when they become an appetite that controls us versus us controlling them, it can get quickly out of hand. Out of hand. Because the truth is, you, know, you were created with appetites. In Christian terms, we believe that God created you to have appetites, to hunger for things, for progress, for love, for acceptance. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is there's this little thing that we call sin, and a lot of times sin is the thing that kind of gets people caught off guard. I know it did me when I was an agnostic. I didn't like talking about sin. I didn't want you to hit me with sin. That was a bad word. It was a word that's often yelled and used kind of as a, a bat to hit people upside the head to you know, apparently knock sense out of them or knock the hell out of them or whatever it is. So then they go to heaven. You know what I'm saying. Um, if we just hit them hard enough, then they'll go to heaven. That doesn't make sense, but that's what we did. Anyways, sorry, got off on tangent, but sin distorts them. This idea that we're not loving as we should, not loving others as we should. That's what sin is. We're missing the mark with God. It distorts our appetites to make them more or less simply unhappy. It makes them control us and define us. It makes us so hungry, we have, or we feel like we have no choice but to feed the appetite. Even if it compromises our values sometimes. Even if it means we got to do things that we know we shouldn't, that our mama told us we shouldn't grow it up. And we justify it away, don't we? To feed our appetites. Except the truth is those appetites are also the same things, and let's be fair about this, there's the same things that hurt us, that bring us stress. Aren't your appetites the things that stress you out sometimes, that bring you anxiety, that make you feel guilty, that make you feel ashamed? 
They're not good for you. They're not healthy. They're distorted. And it's keeping you from happiness. Because happiness, excuse me, because appetites have this amazing knack of telling you it has to happen now. That's another way you can recognize an appetite. Appetites always say now, not later. Appetites are not things that you're comfortable with uh, talking in terms of like delayed gratification or waiting or patience. You don't want it. You want it now. It sounds like my two-year-old, but we can do it as adults too. We want it now. And because, this is really huge, appetites aren't going to make you happy because the appetites you feed aren't satisfied, they grow. Say that one more time. The appetites you feed don't go away, they grow. And you know they grow. In fact, you know that sometimes they grow out of control. Because what happens five hours after breakfast? Yeah, you're hungry. Lunch was the right answer, but that's fine, okay? You know, five, six hours after lunch is? Yeah, I love it. Some of you are supper people. Some of you are dinner people, you know? It kind of depends on what part of the state of Iowa you grew up or if you even grew up here. There's a whole debate. Really, there is a whole debate, dinner or supper. Anyways, you get the point, right? Yeah, you're hungry again. Your stomach wants more. And you think by feeding it, it's going to bring you happiness. But in the short term, maybe it does. But you know over the long term, it's not enough. You're going to need more and you're going to have to keep feeding it. So what's the solution, Taylor? Just stop feeding it? No, of course not. You need to eat. <laughs> Didn't know if you need that. Yeah, you need that. You need to eat. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with love and progress and those things. The issue is the lies we tell ourselves, the burdens we take on our shoulders because they're controlling us. Because they're controlling us. And we're telling ourselves a lot of lies. We're telling ourselves, we're telling ourselves that one day I can satisfy my appetite. I don't know what day that's going to be. I don't want to think about what day that's going to be. You can't get me to write that day on a calendar. You can't get me to write that amount of money on a blank piece of paper. Like if I get that much money, then I will be satisfied. If my income is this, then I will be satisfied. The truth is, this is a lie. And you know it's kind of a lie. But you don't know what else to do. And that's so good that you're here because we're going to talk about that. And the second lie we tell us, and I think this is just, whew, this is a gut punch. Letting your appetites control your life. You let your appetites control your life all the time. Or to say it a different way, appetites don't want you to be happy. They just want to be fed. Appetites don't want you to be happy. They just want you to feed them and we get all this confused and we lie to ourselves and it gets us way off track. It gets us into a place where we are so far away from happiness, it's truly out of our reach, but we don't know how to do it any different because we're so used to feeding what's hungry. So that's what we're gonna talk about today. Specifically, we're gonna talk about a story, a story that is full of appetite, full of it. And we get to see in a really big way how uncontrolled appetites impact our lives. You already know it, but we're going to read it. And at the end, the good news is there is a solution. And you may remember this story uh, if you grew up in church, if you grew up going to the Sunday school, even every so often. Um, and the reason you know that is because some of you know people who are named after these 
biblical characters. Um, this was a story that happened uh, about 4,000 plus years ago. It's an old story. It comes from the book of Genesis, so like the first one in the, you know, in the book of the Bible. Anyways, um, and it involves these two characters. The, key, the main people in the story is Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. And in the story, uh, these two um, guys are twins. They're fraternal twins. They're born at the exact same time. They don't look the same, but they were born at the very same time. And it is a painful, their relationship and their relationship with those people around them are painful reminders of what uncontrolled appetites can do to us, unchecked appetites, how they get out of hand, but it gives us hope at the end. Okay, so to understand what happens next, you have to understand sibling rivalry. So if you grew up with siblings or you're a mother or a father, you understand how this goes, okay? It's not always, you know, unicorn and rainbows and sunshine, okay? Or boys, I don't know what the equivalent to boys would be, things going well, cars, I don't know, big trucks, I don't know. Anyways, I have three girls, so I'm rainbows and pink and, okay, um, that's when we know it's going well. Anyways, um, so what, what happens between siblings? Well, they're trying to, to um, contain appetites and they compete to be filled and they compete against each other, right? Because they want their parents' acknowledgement and affirmation. They want to, honestly, let's be honest, they want to one-up each other a bit, right? If you've ever been a sibling, you know this and you're close together in age, you kind of one-up. You want recognition from your peers. You want that more than your, your other uh, sibling. You want your inheritance, right? And you also want more than your sibling's gonna get, right? You want to stand out, um, stand out and above others. You want people to see you and affirm you, okay? And, and, it, and it can get just really out of control. In fact, it can compound because there's two, right? And, and they're very close together and they're very, very similar. And so it just um, compounds the existing appetites and makes them really worse, which is really great for us because we see them much more plainly, okay? Now, I know none of you would ever do such sibling rivalry things um, as we're going to read about. So just imagine, just imagine how this would go, okay? So I'm gonna read Genesis um, chapter 25. And... Um, I'm going to read uh, the, essentially, it's kind of how it lays out. It's like they're born and then they're grown up. It's like this, okay? And so this is kind of like the first grown up story, okay? You got two characters, Jacob and Esau. Jacob is the uh, guy who's at home, okay? Um, Now, uh, let's see. uh, uh, Okay, the boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter and a man of the field. Okay, so he was the one that was out hunting, being, being a real man. And then you had uh, Jacob. And Jacob was a, I love this description, civilized man. Okay, living in tents. Okay, we have that dynamic today as well. Okay, um, and so that kind of gives you a sense of, of who they are. Now, Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. Isaac is their father. Okay, there was Abraham, might have heard of him. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. One of those sons was Isaac. And Isaac had two sons, Isaac, or excuse me, Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. He was a man's man, okay? And Rebecca, mom, loved the civilized man, 
Jacob because, you know, somebody's got to help with the kids and do the laundry and all that stuff too, right? So when Jacob had cooked a stew one day, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. In some translations, and probably in the translation you grew up, he wasn't just exhausted. He was like near death. He was going to die. That's the extent. Now, I think that's a little bit of an overdramatic statement. He wasn't going to die. He was at home. It wasn't in that great of pain, um, but he had an appetite. He had an appetite that needed to be filled, and he couldn't say no to it. The appetite was he was hungry. It didn't matter what it would take. He needed to satisfy that appetite. So when Jacob cooked a stew one day, Esau came in from the field and was exhausted or near death, in his opinion. And Esau said to Jacob, here's the opportunity. Please, younger brother, because he was like, you know, a minute younger. Please let me have a mouthful of that red stuff there, for I am exhausted. Therefore, he was called Edom by name. But Jacob said, Jacob said something that every good sibling rivalry has. What are you going to give me? What are you going to give me? Keys to your truck? You know, a couple bucks? Even better, he went for the gusto. He went for the big ask right from the get-go. He, brilliant negotiator, by the way. Throw out the extreme one, see if they take it. If not, everything down from that looks better. So he went right for the gusto. Here's what he said. But Jacob said, first, I'll give you the soup. Sell me your birthright. Sell me your inheritance. Sell me everything that is owed to you as the firstborn son of our father, which is generally like twice as much as what everybody else gets. Sell me that. And I'll give you this really, I mean, it's yummy. I'm a civilized man. It is a yummy Bowl of soup. Best soup you've ever had. It's red. I don't know what's in it. Tomato, let's say. Tomato soup. It's delicious. Best tomato soup you've ever had. I'll throw in grilled cheese if you want to. And, and I will sell you my birthright. Okay? To which we all sit here and we say, who would do such a thing? That's ridiculous. Right? Such profound value for soup. Who would give in and be so naive? We would, wouldn't we? You're telling me you have never compromised what was good for you for the sake of satisfying an appetite. You never woke up the next day and said, that was a bad decision. You never sat there and after the emotions cooled down, sat back and said, you know what? I might have been filling an appetite right there. I might not have been doing what was in the best interest of myself and others in that moment. I was doing what I just needed to do to fill that hunger, and it controlled me. As a pastor, I see this all the time. I see people constantly making decisions that make it feel better in the short term, but jeopardize, jeopardize the long term. I mean, have you ever seen a parent that has shortchanged their kids to satisfy their appetite? Have you ever done that, right? In the worst case scenario, these are things like parents, you know, selling time with their children, their lives with their children, their responsibility as a parent for things like drugs or alcohol or money or career. And that relationship's gone. Just so they can satisfy the hunger to be angry, the hunger to be in control, the hunger to dampen down the pain. 
and end up trading integrity, trading humility, trading goodness to feed the hunger, to feed the money, to feed the power, whatever it is. The answer is you and I have and are the type of people who would do something like that, who would sell their birthright for a bowl of soup. Esau said, first sell me your birthright. Esau said, look, I'm about to die. I'm being dramatic because let's be honest. So what use is this birthright for me? And Jacob said, cool, first swear to me. So he swore an oath to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread. See, he threw in the grilled cheese. Gave him bread and lentil stew, and he ate it and drank it and got up and went on his way. So Esau despised his birthright. Despised it. And in the process, did he lose happiness? Did he lose the potential for happiness? I'd say so. I'd say so. But it's not just about Esau. Because a really smart question that I know you're all wondering is, well, Taylor, isn't Jacob like Esau, giving into his appetites too by tricking his brother into doing something that's not best for his brother, that's best for him? The answer is yes. You guys ask such great questions. I just tell you, you're so smart. I just appreciate even the online people, just so smart. Jacob cons Esau. And then you read the story. Over the next seven chapters, Jacob cons his father. You know, the whole hairy arm deal smell, you know, that whole thing. And not only gets his birthright, but gets uh, Isaac's blessing. Cons his dad into giving him his blessing, essentially making him king of his family. And then he goes off, he runs away because now Esau's really upset at him. He runs away and goes to a distant relative and he cons his distant relative into giving him, and well, actually they kind of con each other. It's really just a mess. It's just a bunch of men trying to feed their appetites. Nothing could go wrong. And then what happens? He gets wives, multiple wives, and a bunch of stuff. And then he escapes. I mean, it's just absolutely a mess of a bunch of people feeding their appetites. And you can see if you go home and read the story how much brokenness and pain comes from doing this behavior. And you know what? It's just so incredibly crazy of this whole thing. It's like, it's really the gut punch. It's really the part that goes, ooh, is from the beginning. If you read the NIV translation, which most of you generally probably read the NIV translation, it literally says, from the beginning, before any of this happened, God blessed Jacob. Specifically, he told this to Jacob and Esau's mom. He said, two nations, mom, are in your room, and two people groups will be separated from your body. And one people will be stronger than the other. And the older Esau will serve the younger Jacob. The kicker is Jacob was fighting and hungering for something already promised to him. But he had to have it now. 
and he couldn't trust. He had to do everything within his power, even though it broke the relationships and the lives of the people around him to get it. Does that sound like anything you have ever done or anyone around you has ever done to feed that hunger, to give in to that hunger that ultimately controls you? How many of us already are blessed, already have so much of what we're hungering for, but it's not enough? How often are you and I already blessed, but we're just not grateful for it? And when you're not grateful, you're not gonna be happy because all you're thinking about is the more. And instead, We wrestle life into feeding our appetites that ultimately, and we know this, will never be satisfied. Until one day, one day we may, we have the choice. If we so choose, we may decide to do what Jacob ultimately did after these seven chapters of just absolute disaster, of trying to feed what couldn't be satisfied. Instead of wrestling life, he did something else. One night, after years of manipulation, after feeding his appetite, figuratively wrestling God, he literally wrestles God. He literally wrestles God. And listen to what happened. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man, who we will eventually find out is God, wrestled him until daybreak. When the man saw that he had not prevailed against him, so when God saw that he was not gonna prevail by, I would say, human means against Jacob, because that's just the personality type Jacob is, he's not gonna give up, right? He touched the socket of Jacob's hip. In other words, he went in and he pushed so hard on Jacob's inside thigh that it popped his hip out of his socket. And Jacob's hip was dislocated while he wrestled him. In other words, Jacob lost. Jacob lost. All night, they fought. All night, they wrestled. Think of the force that it would take to pop someone's hip, joint out of the hip. And it happened. And it's kind of that moment where everybody kind of looks at each other and says, this is done. This is done. This is over. This is a moment when Jacob realized, probably for the first time in his life, that he was truly defeated and couldn't do anything about it. That he wasn't gonna win this one. That that appetite could not and would not to win, could not be satisfied. And he does something that he probably had never done up until that point. He acknowledges his defeat. And he does what he should have done and we should do from the very start. From the very start. The man said this, let me go. Why did he let go? Why did he say let me go? Because even in defeat, even in Jacob's defeat, 
Jacob wouldn't let go of God. He didn't let go, which is the thing that he should have always done from the beginning. The thing he should have done to receive the blessing that God had promised him from the beginning. And God said, let me go. It's daybreak. It's over. And Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And God said, Jacob, I did. Years and years ago, before you were even born, I blessed you and you have fought me this whole time trying to take and feed what you already had from the beginning. But you couldn't, con you couldn't admit to yourself that you couldn't control your appetites. You couldn't admit to yourself that they'll never be satisfied and therefore you will never be happy. Until this moment, when you realize the only way you're going to be happy is if you hold on to me and I, your heavenly father, bless you. Until you realize that, Jacob, your whole life you've been trying to reach out for creation, but ultimately you needed the creator. Because that's where happiness is found. Happiness is found when we let go of the appetites that control us, that define us, that we have, I mean, by each finger, we don't wanna let go, right? We wanna hold on finger by finger, inch by inch. We don't wanna let them go. When you let go of that and you hold on to God, because what happens when you let go of all those appetites that control you? You're free. You're free. And you hold on to the one who ultimately wants to bless you. And we talked about blessing last week. What is blessing? Blessed are, blessed are, what does that mean? It means to be happy. To be satisfied in a way that transcends the world. That kind of blessing, that kind of fulfillment, that kind of hunger fed. You, you open the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read about the number of times Jesus says again and again, I will quench your thirst. I will feed your hunger. It's almost like he was present in this story. It's almost like he knows we're hungry, and it's almost as if he knows we're thirsting for something, and the world is never going to satisfy it. But he can. Happiness is found when we let go of our appetites and we hold on to God, when we stop wrestling with, you, with him, wrestling with the one who's trying to bless us. And we start to hunger for him more than anything in this world. The things we know aren't enough. And if you're sitting there and you're like, Taylor, that's, that was great, you had me so far, but I'm not sure I believe you. That's fantastic, I love it. Don't believe me. That's really okay. Seek the things of the world for a few more years. Decades, if you have to. Go after them, chase them. Feed the appetite. Feed it, feed it, feed it, feed it, feed it. And get back to me the day you realize it's never gonna be enough. But our pride won't let us do it, will it? Our pride says, no, you'll get there. You just have to work harder. Be stronger, think smarter. There's a little part of you deep down that says, I'm never gonna be enough. And it's not because I'm not valuable, it's just I'm looking in the wrong places. It's never gonna be enough. It's never gonna be immediate enough. It's never gonna be fast enough. 
Because the only thing that is enough isn't a part of this world. He's the one that created this world. And his love will satisfy you. His presence in your heart will quench your hunger and your thirst. And it will be able to be immediate enough to do that. You don't have to wait because he wants to be right there with you. God, God wants to make this right. God wants to take that distortion out so that you can pursue progress and love and respect in a healthy way, in a peaceful way, where you can have peace and progress at the same time. That is possible. It's possible with him. At least that has been my experience. The more you hunger for your creator and his plan and his people, the people around you, you'll find creation's grip on you and control over you and your willingness to hold on to it with a death grip loosen and fall away. And when it falls away, you will find a kind of peace that just doesn't make sense. In fact, it passes understanding because it's not of this world anymore. Because it satisfies in a way that nothing in the world does. And that's when you're holding on like Jacob was to your heavenly father and not letting go. Holding on to the one who patiently waited for Jacob for years, <laughs> for years. And all the times Jacob turned away, God waited because God loves and told him, Jacob, I bless you from the beginning. And then what happened next? He said, now from this day on, Jacob, your name is not Jacob. Jacob experienced a transformation. He said, your name is now Israel and there will be a nation and you will have children and they will become a nation, tribes, a nation that will last thousands of years, as I promised your father Abraham. Trust me. Follow me. Hold on to me. And you will be blessed. You will be happy. Bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, Help us become aware in this moment, all of us, Jesus follower, not Jesus follower, everywhere in between, skeptic, critic, devoted. Help us to see our pride for what it is. The pride that says somehow we, of all people, of billions of people, on the tiniest of planets, in the grandest of universes, we know. We have all the answers. We know the right way to live. We know better than everybody else. We know even better than you. That pride, that same pride that tells us if we just get more, we'll be satisfied. If we just move forward enough, we'll be satisfied, even though we know it's never enough. And we always have to feed it, that pride. 
Help us to confront it. Help us to be honest about it. Help us to let it go. And realize that we'll never know. And so ultimately, we're gonna have to decide to trust in what we cannot see, to have faith in what we don't know. To trust that you are a God that not just with Jacob and Esau, but for literally thousands of years of so many stories was ultimately faithful, even in our failure, was ultimately present even in our pride. And that we would let that pride go enough that we would trust you. For some of us, we need to trust you more than we have before. For some of us, we need to start trusting you for the first time or explore what that trust could look like, who you really are. If you're really the God that would be patient enough for us to let go of our appetites, to walk away from the decisions that we've made for sometimes years of our life that we knew were wrong and meet us with forgiveness and love and patience that we'd no longer have to carry the shame and the bitterness of our past, but we can look forward to the hope of our future and that with you. To be grateful with what we have and to be grateful for then what we've been given and live at peace, a peace that passes all understanding. And that comes not in pride, but with humility, surrender, in a bit of defeat and recognizing in, in the defeat of our pride, and recognizing who's ultimately Lord, who's ultimately creator, who's ultimately king of this world and our lives. And we'd latch on to you because in you, that's when happiness comes because that's ultimately what you want for us. One of the first words out of Jesus' mouth is, I want you to be blessed. I want you all to be happy and here's how you do it. Help us to trust you, to find you, to seek you more today. In your name I pray, amen.